This episode has two main themes, and I've told you guys before that I stay on topic, and then someone says, Jet, you certainly didn't stay on topic. You ran around like a cracked-out monkey with a knife. Um, I think I do kind of stay on topic. The first part is about something that happened in my life with someone who I had to part ways with uh, reluctantly, but at the time that I did it, and today, I mean, in general, I still feel the same way, but I meant it, and it had to be done. So the first part is kind of about staying true to yourself and hitting a point in your life where you have to give someone the gift of goodbye. And I didn't make that up, and I don't particularly like it as a phrase, but it's true. And maybe it was a gift. It sounds kind of arrogant, but still. I had to let someone go from my life professionally because I worked with them in uh, the capacity of business occasionally, and then also as a friend because where they are right now and where they look like they're headed is not a place I can go. Anyway, so that's the first part. The second part is about the Cybertruck for one second. And I really thought <laughs> if I called this episode Cybertruck, it would be so funny because I completely forgot to talk about it. Next episode, I'm certainly going to talk about Tesla's Cybertruck. So that's one second of this episode. I'm spending more time explaining than I mention it than it is actually in the episode. The real second part is about my screenplay and the tectonic shift that has occurred in my life due to the completion of this screenplay. Spoiler alert, I finished it. The first draft. So that is what you have to look forward to. If looking forward to things that I say is what you do. And for those of you, for those of you who also like it when I don't say words right, you're in for a treat. I am Jert Durnrap, and this is episode 54, or 54 for the record, to stay with the FCC compliance, or FAA, whatever this is. Episode 54 of Psychotherapy with me, Jet D, starts right now. I just finished an episode about Jet and Gina because it was 16 years ago this week that I first saw Gina. It's very romantic. It's real. I don't burst into tears, but I even labeled it like a nerd. I put Gina and Jet a love story on tonight's episode of Turner Classic Audio. And um, you'll never hear it because I am not mature enough in my masculinity to air something that is that mushy. Unless I am overwhelmed with requests to hear this episode, which if I know my audience, and I sure don't, I will not have those requests. Because if there's anything no one likes, it is stories about this jerkaroo and his love for his bonnie lass Gina. Have you been, team, group, friends? You ask me the same question, I've been pretty good. It has been an interesting week, but with the skill sets I've developed over the last (laughs) however many years I am alive, and more importantly, the last six months, and even more importantly, the amount of time I've been spending with you guys out there in podcast land, I've been able to handle these situations remarkably well. A situation came up recently where I had to say goodbye to a friend and a sometimes collaborator. A person who I truly hope the best for and cared for a lot. But over the last four or five years, their self-interest has caused issues 
in our professional relationship and friendship. And I had spoken to this person about it many times. And this happens to be an individual who, for reasons that I won't try and guess, has gotten poorer and poorer at listening. So I let them know how I felt like I do on the show. I let them know the boundaries of what I'll put up with and what I won't. And in a situation recently, I warned them about something that was important to me in a kind of business situation. And due to the manner in which this person handled it and proceeded to handle it, even with my warning, I decided very rationally and very calmly that I can no longer maintain a professional relationship with this person. Then I warned the person again that if they proceeded down the road they were going, I would no longer be able to have a friendship with this person. This person doubled down (laughs) on this uh, arrogance and self-serving kind of, I don't know, attitude they've adopted. And uh, so I had to part ways with them as a friend as well. And normally this would be something that would send ripples across my everything. (laughs) That sounds like it's dirty. Not like that. Um, Emotionally, it would stay with me. It would leak into my relationships with people I care about. It would even into my day-to-day activity. In this case, it did not. And a lot of that is the way I have been handling myself, but also how I talk to you folks about how these situations are to be handled. So I addressed it in the order of how this happened, exactly how I would have wanted to. And at no point did I lose myself or say anything or do anything I didn't want to. And there is no part of me that ever violated the rules I put out on this show. I was talking to Gina about how so many things in my life have been going unbelievably right. I was even talking to my friend Chris about this. Anyone who will listen. <laughs> um, and the reason is, is because I've been extremely true to myself. Now, it's important to understand what I mean by that. Because a horrible person can be true to themselves. I mean, as much as they believe they are. Their definition of self may vary from where I am now. I meditate. I do yoga. I treat my body extremely well. I am very open and honest with the people I know and love. Am I confessing to something here? (laughs) But it's, yeah, I think it's key because you're going to come up against this a lot at any age. So it resonates with everyone. I will bend when I see someone who's going through something, but I will not let myself break. And I will put up a barrier for the benefit of the person and myself. What I'm saying is I have created this temple that is my life and my body and my relationship. And as a individual who is thinking with a sober mind, I am aware of the things I do and say. One of the things I used to say about not drinking that was great was that even when I was a jerk, I meant it at the time. So in this particular situation, I even said to the individual that If I am completely wrong, and it is just out of my purview for whatever reason, I apologize. And I meant it. Because I reserve the right to believe that maybe 10 years from now, I will see that I am completely wrong in this situation. However, I won't mind because I handled it so elegantly and so nicely and so honestly to myself right now, which is the only self I know. And this is completely different than I would have handled it in any other period of my life. So I'm kind of proud of the way I handled it. And the way I know it's right is because I don't have any regret, you know? And I was actually listening to this book today that has to do with what I'm talking about. And it was talking about ego and 
ego being a good thing in the sense that ego preserves you and makes sure that you don't get hurt and takes care of yourself and you know make sure that you do the things you need. But when it goes out of proportion, it starts to see anything that isn't you as an enemy. That is not the way I was in this. And I had been tolerating things from this person that I wouldn't in a normal individual for years simply because I saw so many similarities in their behavior to early behaviors that I had in my life. And so I had a special sympathy and empathy for that. But as I've coached, you have to know where your threshold is. And it is immensely important for you to know what you are worth mentally, physically, and emotionally. And if you feel someone encroaching on those places, you need to have a point and I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm deliberately not saying breaking because I don't want you to break and I don't want them to break. But you need to know, and you will know it, where enough is enough. And this was not violent or dramatic or anything like that. But it still was something where I put my foot down and mourned and mourned and mourned and mourned. And then finally those warnings were not heeded and I said, okay, no more. And people are entitled to do what they do. And maybe the best thing in this person's life is to not have me in it. And that's fine too. Other than that... This week has been incredible. And even with that, it's been incredible because I got another opportunity as a human to prove to myself the level of respect I have for this creature that is Jet Dunlap on Earth right now. And if you don't respect yourself, you can't respect anyone. And I mean that even though I go into a voice, which is a defense mechanism. So with that in mind, let's continue with the show. The show is about the Cybertruck that Tesla released this week. I think you all know that that's what this episode is about. And I'll get back to that in one minute. I've been working on this script that is so important to me, and I called it his. I meant is, but I say the best words, so I meant to say exactly what I said, um, and uh, I was going to say no collusion, but whatever. With me, maybe a little collusion. Um, so this script has been very important to me, and I started it on the 6th or 7th. I said to you folks, putting it out there and making sure that I'm held accountable to someone greater than myself. And what greater group than a group that could grow in a proportion that I can't calculate because it is going to be out there forever. So that's a big group. And you guys are that. So I said, I'm going to finish this script. And then I said, it's going to be 110 pages because I was going to say 120, but then I'm like 110 is easier because it's 10 less. Almost every episode I say to you, you know how math works. And the reason I'm saying that out loud is because I usually don't know how math works. But in this case, I think I'm right. 10 up from 10 is 20. <laughs> okay. I had deadlines. And my deadline was December 10th to finish it. Now, I tried to cheat a little bit on the last episode by saying, listen, I hit 140 pages and uh, that exceeds my number of pages, which means I'm finished. But I wasn't finished. The script wasn't finished. But now it is. After whatever amount of years I've been on this earth, and scholars maintain there is no actual identifying age for me, and that it'll take carbon-14 dating, if you remember your history from grade school, to find out exactly how old I am when I am past. But whatever age I am, the entire length of that age, I have not finished a script. I have started more scripts than there are grains of sand on the entire earth. But, and that's a lot, but it's a lot. It feels like a lot more. I could never get past a certain point for whatever reason, call it maturity, call it <laughs> whatever you like, preamble, 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 preamble. So I hadn't finished one. This week, I did. 
And this was after this whole kind of kerfuffle that went on. And that's all it was. But uh, I decided I was going to finish. And I got up to 180, no, 198 pages. And I did. And it was incredible. I'm smiling from ear to ear, metaphorically. I have not had that much fun. I have not felt that fulfilled and all those other things that mean that it was amazing. And a lot of them beyond words. My hands were flying. I just kept writing. These characters poured out of me. I'm not a musician. I'm not a lot of things. I'm not an artist like my wife was at dance. I can't draw a picture. But this is a thing I can do. I mean things that I put in the first and second act were revealed to me in real time in the third act. And this movie I was watching in my head just got better and better. So good that I know for a fact that this film is already made. It's already on screens and you can already see it. And it's just a matter of time before that fact catches up with reality. That is how I feel about this. 198 pages that will be reduced to the amount of pages it needs to be reduced to because I'm already going over on the draft. My first draft is done and I'm working on the second. And even that's coming to me extremely easily because <laughs> it feels like the guy who started this script, and I don't, I can barely even remember that far back, but it was at the beginning of this month, <laughs> which is amazing to me. Talk about relativity. I just don't feel any real connection with the guy who sat down and started rewriting this script on stage on the 6th because he was a, a child in the world of writing and now I am just so far beyond that. I've been listening to and reading and watching so much on screenplay writing. <laughs> I hate it when I do that so much. I promise you I don't do that in my writing where I'll say, today I was thinking uh, of thinking, damn it. Uh, I hate it when I do that, but I do it often. And I'm not going to take it out because... It is grand, but this has been incredible and so much so that when I was telling Gina about the last scene, when it came to me and the way it came to me was, you know, it was inspired, man. It was that stuff of stories, which is funny that stories come to you like they would in a movie, but wouldn't that make sense? Storytellers are the ones telling the stories we watch, so it, it makes perfect sense, but when the end came to me, ugh. It was revealed to me the way it'll be to you when you see the film. It was incredible. And I told Gina the way it was summed up. And she'll be on this show soon if I can convince her. If I can get if I can get the, the booking. Um, she cried. She cried when I told her the end that appeared in my head. Can you hear my smile? My wife, who is tough, you know? My wife and my mom have very little in common, including the fact that my mom is a very small Italian woman and my wife is 5'10 and Hungarian. Those aren't the only differences. But uh, they, you know how they say some people marry their mother? I certainly didn't. But where they are common, where they have very common ground, is their hesitance to compliment me. And the reason for that, as stated by them at various points in their life, is that I am so sure I'm incredible that no one else needs to compliment me. Uh, I don't know that that's what they said, but they're sure right I am incredible. But anyway, she's not, she's not generous with her compliments. So for her to genuinely have an emotional reaction 
Wow. She's found me funny forever, but I've never told a narrative that makes her cry, unless it's based in reality, and that was never, she was never crying because it was, you know, good. It was just a little too real. I have one of those lives. But I'm a different person. That thing is done. Stand-up comedy, although I thought it was, you know, the final brick, it's not. It wasn't. It just unlocked another another piece of this unreality I've been experiencing since then. I can't say I can't explain it because I think I just did. And those of you who get it will hear it in my voice, will understand it in the resonance of what I'm saying. But it's, like I said, unreal. I have wanted this my whole life. My whole life. To be able to do something like the people I've always looked at who had talent. And I, I know the difference between talent and cultivated skill. People always wanted me to be in talent management, which I was for a while, or be an agent. Because I know when someone's good at something from a place that comes from more than practice. And I know when someone is practiced. There's a difference. And this came from 10,000 hours of writing i've done since i was 13 malcolm gladwell's reference to the 10,000 hour rule of being having greatness occur and then it also came from a place of a narrative ability that may have been genetic but also cultivated over all the years that i've been dealing with my learning disabilities you know when i was in school and i had to make up elegant reasons why i couldn't read in class or being funny being a defense mechanism and then being funny being a way that I cultivated my personality. So this is the culmination of all those skills going into something that I just can't get enough. As a matter of fact, while I'm recording this, I can't stop thinking about how I want to continue to rewrite this story. And not the core, the spine of the story will stay. It will be more impactful in a more compact way. And that'll be great. (laughs) Stephen King is my idol. I have a lot of directors I look up to. I always say that there are two people that I under, I don't understand the talent of, and I'll throw in a third. The third is George Lucas and the world he created. Uh, there was a long time where I was really mad at him for episodes one, two, and three, but now I see his true genius in the world that he created and how elegant the quotes that he has of Yoda and even even the storyline of Obi-Wan and all that. You know, People credit Yoda for quotes, and I always think that's funny because Yoda's not a person, you jerk alone. He's a character that George Lucas created. So if you think, do or do not. Sorry, let me try that again. Do or do not. There is no try. That is uh, Kermit. <laughs> but it was George Lucas who came up with that. Give credit where credit's due. So George Lucas is the third. The first is Stephen King. The way he writes, if you are a fan, and I am. I fell in love with writing and narrative long-form story in when I was 13 years old, and I got the audio cassette through some kind of crazy, spooky, Stephen King-like way. The Drawing of the Three, the Dark Tower series, the book that is right there in the spine of my entire existence and keeps poking in and out of my life. That blew my mind and continues to. This man can write in a way that I cannot understand. But I always wanted to. I always thought he and I share a kinship. And that kinship was realized in my screenplay writing but i want to tell you the other person who i cannot believe out of this list of three the final one is john williams the conductor who did superman 
He did Star Wars. He did Jaws, countless other movies, and without whom these movies could have completely failed. And it would take a lot of understanding of cinema to know what I mean, but there are some great movies out there that never got to the height they could have because the score was so misplaced or dies over age. You watch Star Wars, the original one, episode four, uh, New Hope, and you watch that, and you watch that opening sequence, and that score is mind-blowing today as much as it was then. So those are the three geniuses I cannot understand. Everyone else I can rationalize, and if I had enough time on this search, sometimes I might even take 300 years. I could pretty much understand everyone else in history, and I read a lot of biographies, so I'm no novice in this world. But those three are incredible. What blew my mind about Stephen King and why I always wanted to be like him was that he created worlds in real time. Stephen King does not do an outline. Stephen King realizes these characters as his hands move. And that is how I wrote this script. And when I finally wrote Fade to Black, I felt the connection he and I have. And not that he and I are, you know, uh, no, we are. I'm not going to mince words to try and make more sense and have you go, oh, this guy's not a cuckoo bird, I'm a cuckoo bird. And so is he. I did not know what would happen to these characters until it did. I did not know the ending until it happened. But when I was talking to my friend Chris Coy the day that I knew I was going to write the ending, which is freakish, according to my wife, and even I will admit it's pretty freakish, I said, I'm going to write the end today. And I had no idea what it was going to be. I sat down at my keyboard and I wrote the shit out of it. Pardon my language, but I did. And it was incredible. And it sounds like this is braggadocious or egoic, but it's not. I don't take credit for this. And again, this is one of those things that if you have a little bit of an understanding of beliefs in the universe or or God. How about God? You heard of him, right? So whether it was a cloud man or all those other things I mentioned, that's where it came from. And I give credit where credit's due. I was the instrument of this. And even that might sound egoic, but I promise you I don't mean it that way. I mean that there's no way I could have done this on my own because I put my hands at a keyboard and it came out of me. And it's good. And why do I know it's good? Because I'm reading it as a second person. And again, this is one of those deep dish things, okay? That's a pizza analogy, but you get what I'm saying. Let's say you saw my wife dance, or you see someone, it doesn't just have to be my wife, I just really like the lady. Let's say you see a performance by someone, or even an athlete, and you go, wow. Them at their peak is them plus something else, okay? The greatest people at something is not just effort. Something else comes in, especially in art. You see something like a painting that has moved people for 100 years, do you think that was just them being better at moving a brush? I mean, seriously. I felt that. And I've wanted to feel that my whole life. More so than anyone I've ever even read about. And I've had to wait as many years as I have to feel that. And it's amazing. I don't ever not want to be writing. I want to write right now. I want to write when I'm sleeping, and I do. I was in Gina's spin class, and I had to write because another story came to me. I get to create worlds. I feel these characters. I know where they came from, and I know every detail about them as if they're real, and I made them up, and that's fun. And I'm only telling you this for one reason, and that is that it is the truth for me. And you know what? I started this 
podcast with a lesson in tolerance and how you should stay true to yourself. And I ended it with me following my bliss. And here's what I want you to know, and I don't want to LeVar Burton this up, reading Rainbow It, and kind of all sum it up, but here it is. <laughs> I just said I'm not going to do it, and I'm going to do it, aren't I? I can't help it. Here I go. Stop. I can't. Okay. You've been here with me this whole journey, and that is so special to me. The first episode, if you've been here the whole time, and if you haven't, go to it. I was raw. I didn't edit. You heard this guy who's a totally different guy than the guy you're hearing now. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool that my desire for this show has panned out and been realized and will continue to because I'm devoted to you folks? And what I mean by that in detail, if you're listening to this for the first time, is that when I first got on the mic in probably the first 10 episodes, I was just a depressed dude who was putting one foot in front of the other and kept going. I had a big bush of beard because I had been hiding from the world for two years, two years. Well, I was getting sober. I didn't want anyone to see me. I wanted people to look the other way when they saw me so they wouldn't talk to me. And that's the truth. I was very depressed. And that's where I started. And then I started being raw and honest with you guys. And I told you things that I would hold myself to. I had lost my grandfather right after the most important man in my life, right after I started the show. And, uh, and then I lost a friend. And this isn't sad. But you got to hear that too. And now I am where I am. And the reason that's important to me is because the documentation of this, if you're going through any of that and you wanted to listen to this as if it's, you know, a novel based in reality, you would hear that progression. And that's awesome. It in itself is a narrative while I tell you about how my narrative skills increased as far as screenwriting. And if I could give anyone any gift, it would be that. And if I could help someone who suffers from depression or just sadness or the human condition that we all share, it would be to be able to hear someone go from the low place I was when I started to where I am now. And I know because I keep sharing that it's only going up. And that's awesome. So, thank you. And I'm out of words as far as you're concerned. I'm out of spoken words. I'm going to go back to those good old-fashioned written words. But thank you for listening to me. It means the world. I'm Jet Dunlap for Psychotherapy, and I'll hear from you next time.